Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Fair Data Podcast, where we discuss all things fair, making data findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. I'm Rory McNeil, host of the Fair Data Podcast, and my guest today is Sarah El Gobali. Sarah is a project manager at the SciLife Lab Data Center in Sweden and is active in many forums and organizations that promote open science and fair data, including the recently established FairPoints event series. Sarah, welcome. It's great to have you on the podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. So let's let's get started. T- tell us, uh, as a bit of background, tell us a bit about how you became interested in data and data management in the first place. Yeah, that's a long story, but um, I let's, let's just start with the during my PhD times, right? And at the height of it, where we had like um, high throughput uh, data uh, or data coming from high throughput experiments, it's nowhere near the scale we're talking about today. But uh, at the time, it, it was already an issue to say, how do we you know, handle this data? How do we analyze it? I worked with microarrays, had data from multiple different types of microarray experiments. How do we harmonize it and you know a lot of questions came out of this but I think really mainly it was because of the nature of my work and the nature of um, of being a scientist really of moving around quite a bit from labs and different places and you're always left wondering what happens to the data and can I take this with me or you know who owns this stuff and who's gonna are they gonna delete it the minute I leave? I walk out the door, or uh, can I take it and use it in the next lab? And that's 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 about everything, you know. Even as a as a technician, but prior to my PhD, I was wondering like, can I take this protocols, this paper protocols, with me? <laughs> and you know, there there are a lot of different questions regarding research data management, but 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 really, what kind of solidified and conceptualized data management was my experiences when I moved and joined EMBL and EMBO and then EMBL EBI, so the European Molecular Biology uh, Organization and then the European Molecular Biology Laboratories and European Bioinformatics Institute, just trying to get through those acronyms. <laughs> and um, it was really there where data had like a gravitas on, on its own, had an inherent value of its own, being treated as the first class citizen. And back the questions of how do you handle this? How do you store it? How do you describe it? How do you make it available for others? And, you know, so that's really data management for me. And, and as it, I, I guess it's, it did spark it did start, you know, the or the spark was started during my 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 PhD when I was like handling all sorts of types of big data, and I'm saying big data for the at the time that was a while ago. And how do I how do we harmonize this? How do we make sense out of it, and so on? Yeah, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So it's it's good because so actually you you came out of a research background so you weren't you weren't approaching it some people come out of it as a as a kind of a management or a librarian but you're coming out of uh, out of a research background that's actually really 
really interesting. And, and so now tell us, tell us, how does that, what are you doing now at the, at the SciLife lab and how does that relate to the, to the earlier experiences you had? Yeah. Um, so, so you, you, you're definitely right. I came out of wet lab cancer research environment and then got really immersed into data and data handling. And, uh, it, I think it, it's, it's, uh, it's giving me a nice perspective having coming from from the researcher side as, uh, and um yeah my role in the SciLife lab it ties in all of that because the SciLife lab is um center for science for and uh for uh, life sciences research and to give you a bit of uh, background so the SciLife lab is uh institution for molecular biosciences in Sweden and we're funded as the national research infrastructure for, for Sweden and it started by like four different universities that came together but then it expanded to include all major universities in Sweden and I'm uh, I work in the data center which is the point of contact for data related activities and that includes data management and we have been very lucky to receive an, a generous grant to support data-driven life science research. And that's where I come in. And I know my title doesn't really say much as I'm a project lead for metadata and curation, which in itself is like, well, what, what, what is that, right? <laughs> Keep in mind that all of these roles have just emerged in the past decade or so. So there's a lot of um, questions uh, about it. So in reality, I'm more the, the person who pops up and says, ah, what about the metadata? Talk to me about the metadata in every single setting. So it can be a bit annoying, but uh, it's, it's necessary at times. So, um, so that, that, that really, uh, these, whenever this conversation about systems, about tools, about researchers' workflows, how the data goes from point A to point B, that's really where metadata comes into the question and it permeates every aspect of the research. And that part of what I do is to harmonize that. And I know it doesn't say much again. I'm happy to go into more detail about, you know, giving specific examples. But um, in a nutshell, um, I make sure that the systems can talk to each other and the users who interact with those systems get the information they need to make executive decisions about whether to use that data sets or not, or you know how to proceed and uh, if on the quality and yeah availability and, and many many questions. So basically, whenever you have a question about some some data in the system, you should be able to answer it from looking at the metadata. Well, that's really interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't fully really realized that either. So it's interesting for, for me to, to hear that. So it sounds like what, from what you say, part of your role is actually dealing, is advising and working with researchers on data. I, I know, or I think I know any from having, any from having looked at the SciLife Lab um, website that you, the, the more generally the, the lab is, is based in, is, is engaged in a whole series of of activities both within Sweden and, and also interfacing with some of the European initiatives and EOSC and things like that. It also seems to be 
one of the things which I, I thought was quite interesting, it, it, it's, it aspires at least to making available a, a pretty comprehensive set of, of tools and resources for uh, life sciences research. And that includes both kind of pan-European tools, which might be developed or infrastructure, which be part of EOSC. It includes tool development, I understand, is going on uh, at, at the SciLife Lab. It also includes incorporating pre-existing tools, both domain-specific tools and, and more, more generic tools. So it seems like it's an incredibly rich and broad, uh, um, you know, uh, an ambitious uh, vision that's there. So are you also involved or how do you interface, in addition to helping the researchers, it sounds almost like a lot of it, or some of it's project-based, experimental-based. Uh, are you also interfacing with the, the more general kind of tool resource side of things, which where where it seems like Site Life Lab is also doing some really interesting things? Um, yeah, so we do have actually a, a kind of multiple focuses here, but with regards, we do handle research groups and research questions um, and help re the researchers themselves. But we also have about 40 different facilities producing tons of data on a national level. And that's the kind of data production that needs to be handled, needs to be harmonized, needs to be you know coherent. And the data that is coming out of that needs to be preserved for future generations because we are putting the data and the data sets and we talk about raw data as the first class citizen and making it more fair and reusable beyond the project's lifespan and because of the wide variety or the broad aspect of different research being done uh, in, in the SciLife lab and we have like four new um, res research focus areas with precision medicine, environmental and so forth. It's really important to bring this into perspective that we have different data sets being produced on, on from multiple disciplines or fields but there is a value to make to having them being interconnected and um, on a cross-disciplinary fashion so being able to use data from one field to answer questions in another one and that's really where the future is and that's where we're heading and to do that we we do develop tools and ser offer services to that end and uh maybe i can i can talk a little bit about one of the, the projects that i'm leading where we're focusing on <clears throat> Uh, looking at the data produced from a specific sample. So if, if, if you look at any piece of raw data, and I'm not talking about synthetic data, I'm talking about like raw measurements from samples, from um, genomics, from imaging, from all of that originates from a sample. And you, if you get a sample in, and then parts of it go to imaging, parts of it goes to proteomics, parts go to you know um, uh, genomics. And if that sample is coming from the clinical side, then you have also like some clinical data associated with it. The sample in itself is the common den denominator here. And we need to kind of be able to look at all of and connect all of this 
data to his progenitor and say, well, um, what are what is the sample telling me and what kind of data can I have uh, access to and how do I combine these findings to make a decision, whether it's a clinical decision or research decision. Well, that's really interesting. This conversation is slightly going down a, a path I hadn't expected, but it's so interesting that I can't resist uh, following on this a little bit. So, I mean, this this opens up all sorts of interesting, interesting questions, and um, uh, it it also relates to a discussion I was actually having with with your colleague at, on Fairpoints, and a uh, uh, I think he was maybe our a previous guest anyway, not not the not the immediate one, but but Chris Erdman about domain-specific versus generalist repositories. And of course, they both have their roles and, and uh, they both provide a valuable function. But I guess one of, you know, one of the, as you were saying, a particular sample, especially in this interdisciplinary era, could relate to lots of different domains. Uh, so there's, there's a need to get information, metadata about that sample into, the, into certain domain repositories for future reuse and, and, uh, and visibility. But at the same time, something's lost in the sense that if you, if that's all you do, you could potentially uh, reduce the ability of people to understand the totality of all the things that were involved in, in the project or the experiment. So, I mean, is, how does, you haven't really, we haven't really talked about repositories, but how does, how does that come into the thinking at, at SciLife Lab? Um... Yeah, so we do have, uh, we do offer, for instance, a repository for data deposition, so Figshare instances on, on a national level. And what the end game here as well is to be able to deposit the data in related repositories, for instance, EBI um, repositories, ENA, and, you know, um, Empire, and so forth. And that's to enhance the visibility and say, the idea here is that we're making this available for for the scientific community. And uh, I think it's really very interesting to see how the different types of data sets relate to the sample in terms of um, in terms of their uh, for example, like EBI biosamples repository, where you can deposit sample information and any type of linked data to it. And that's really where we're heading to have this total overview to see the bigger picture of, um, of how things are interconnected. So it's not that one type of data is lost and, you know, then <laughs> the, the whole information about this kind of this part is, is, is completely gone. So we're like, yeah, that's we're mainly where we're going or aiming for. <laughs> yeah, okay, neat. So so FAIR data has, has played an increasingly uh, prominent role in recent years. How, I, I always ask this question because it, how did you first come across the concept and how is your thinking about FAIR Fair data and fair evolved since you since you first came across the concept. If you remember, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have to say when I was as a researcher, like fair didn't really exist at the time, and my first uh, exposure to fair and the principles were during my time in EBI. Um, 
And I think I, that was really, really lucky, really, really privileged position to be at. And, you know, to as a bio curator, being exposed to FAIR and quickly realizing the value of it. And uh, this is like, you know, I was in, a, in, a, in, a, in the right place in the right time, you could say that. Um, but I have since like, yeah, my thoughts have evolved a bit more and, and um, interacting more with the community and being into, you know, building a community and interacting with other researchers, I realized that, oh, this is not as, you know, as clear or prominent yet. And, and, and the basic question that I, it made me realize basically just how complex FAIR is. Um, outside of my bubble of being like as a bio curator or research data manager. And I gained the, the researcher's perspective on it. And I realized that yeah, you almost always hear the same thing. Yeah, 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 fair, fair, fair. But how? Just tell me, how do I do this? Yeah. Um, and that's going to lead us to, to some of the projects that I work on. But yeah, I think this is how really my thoughts about fair evolved over time yeah okay interesting so in addition to the the various day jobs that you've held you you've been engaged in, as a participant and in some cases as a driving force in a number actually many community oriented initiatives and and organizations and i think the latest example there's too many probably to talk about in in, in a single podcast but the latest example fair points is particularly relevant to our discussion today so tell us a bit about Fairpoints, and how, and also I'm interested in how your experiences in in other community oriented projects fed into how you've approached working with others to get Fairpoints off the ground. Yeah, I, I I first of all I have to you know say that I am standing on the shoulders of giants when it comes to communities and uh, interactions. Um, I would not have been able to be start a community around fair points if it hadn't been for all the community work done and, and the support and you know the lessons I've learned from interacting with other communities such as the carpentries, the turn way, the open life science and many more. It's just these type of communities have laid the groundwork of how do you interact with um, people from varying disciplines, from varying backgrounds, and uh, what to and and really help in formulate help me formulate the idea of where and how to start and you know how to go on about building a community. So I was, I was really really grateful for that. Um, sorry, was that your question? <laughs> I quickly <couldn't see> this. <laughs> That's kind of the over the principle, which is is you you're you've learned through your other experiences. But how did let me ask it? Maybe the next step is okay. How did you actually deploy that learning and knowledge in in when you came to work with? Uh, I know it's not it's not just yourself, but when you came to work with a small group of people and and thought about uh, and thought about fair points and you know why did you what what where was the spark for the idea for fair points? Ah uh, well. Yeah, so I, I just mentioned the carpentries, and uh, maybe I, this is where or the where the discussion started. Really, that's where I met Chris, uh, Chris uh, Erdman, who's the co-founder of Fairpoints, and um, I remember us working on 
of research data management or fair and fair lesson for the carpentries. It's still in the in, in, in the carpentries, and I think it's 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 more or less done. So if people want to check it out, just go to the <laughs> carpentries lessons. And <clears throat> while talking about this, me and, and Chris we were lamenting about the state of uh, fair because uh, it at the end of the day it's, it's more of an uh, guiding guidance it's more of a vision and you know people talk about fair in terms of levels of uh, of fair but there is no manual there is no here's what you do <laughs> here's how you fix this and we didn't really know how it looks like how do the the researchers fix it what kind of tools do they use and uh, people might be doing you know proper good fair research practices without them even knowing it or labeling as such and we started talking about this and honestly <laughs> it was more about me venting and ranting about it <laughs> and then Chris took it to another level he supported the idea and he was like yes 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 let's go talk to these people they'll you know they, they'll give us some ideas and let's talk to other people and he just like kind of took me by the hand metaphorically you know like let's go <laughs> And without him, none of this would have happened. And we started talking in, about our ideas and other communities. And we said, well, we all come from different aspects or different disciplines and backgrounds. Let's pool our knowledge together to go forward, because that's the only way forward. You know, we all deal with the same issues of uh, having data that is not in a good shape for reuse. So let's uh, start from that point and let's pull all our knowledge and uh, see what are people developing here that can be adapted to someone else's use in this other field and uh, it's uh, it's that's how it came to fruition that's how it, like it'd be the birth of fairpoints really and um but we didn't want to create we didn't want to create it as a you know um a whole lesson teaching people because they realize that what we need is to be able to tell people okay here's here's the the tool here's you know here's the manual just you know oh you have this this problem well uh, have a look at the frequently asked questions uh, section you know and uh, originally we called it fair bytes to have like bite sized uh, summaries of, of the solutions but fair points became better and <laughs> with the community growing uh, we, we renamed it and that's where it became it became more you know of a prominent point you know every every conversation summary every solution is more this is the point we want to deliver the, and that's the summary of it like you know no faff <laughs> just pure here it is that's what we want to want you to come out out with you know so yeah that's that's fair points and we're really really uh, grateful to all the people who are you know working with us in our community and uh, our you know team chris and katie and donnie winston are uh, katie knight and donnie winston are absolutely amazing and yeah i was just like was so excited just to be in, you know around them and being inspired by them and i have to say yeah we all come from different backgrounds completely different backgrounds and it's, it works <laughs> yeah yeah that's great i mean it seems to be uh 
it seems to be off to a really good start. I, I thought uh, yesterday's, uh, well, it won't be yesterday when this, it's yesterday now anyway, when yesterday's um, event took place with the research equals, that was, was really, it was really an interest. It's an interesting new product. It's an interesting approach. And then the discuss discussion around it was, was really interesting too. And as you say, it was, it wasn't kind of uh, airy fairy faff. It was, it was concrete. And that forced you to really think about some issues. So uh, yeah. And I, and I'm sure you'll have a variety of different things planned for the future, but, um, but yeah, so far so good. It seems to be. Thank you. And we're super happy to have you and uh, Zol and your support and the community. So, and it was really great having Chris uh, Hardgearing uh, with us yesterday to, to talk about research equals. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really, uh, you know, for me, I, I mean, I think it relates to one of the, well, actually to pick up on a couple of the earlier points you made and then try to tie it back into fair points. I think, um, as you say, I mean, the, the, you'd almost, it's quite kind of interesting if you watch the way that, that this fair concept has, has developed from who knows, no, nobody so far has told me the origin of it. It's probably like the origin of the universe. We'll never know what the origin of, uh, of fair data was, but then someone had the idea or used the term and coined the acronym, whatever. And then it, it gathers steam and it, it, you know, it kind of synergies with open science and, and then, and now, now it's actually driving the funders uh, of research and in, in their thinking and having an impact on the way research is carried out, on on who's doing it, on all all these kind of fundamental things. So it's 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 growing by leaps and bounds. And one of the, to me, kind of both good and bad aspects of that is that you've got this uh, very. It's becoming a bit formalized, and people are saying, you know, here's what, here's instead of general principles, it's now, here's what fair is. And in order to be fair, you need to do this, 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 and this. And, and some of those things are becoming really hyper, hyper detailed and hyper specific. And it's a very much, some of it is a very much kind of top down. It almost becomes a new uh, regulatory superstructure. And there are definitely benefits to that. But at the same time, to me anyway, it's, it's really important that it that the kind of bottom up um, impetus is, is there as well, and that therefore there are you know uh, open open fora for having discussions about fair and, and what does actually fair mean. It's not I don't if someone's going to tell me this is what fair means, I might say, well, sorry, I disagree with you. You know, who <laughs> you say what fair means, right? Because it needs to be a dynamic concept, and so I think something like fair points is great because you're. Um, you're maintaining that, you know, that side of the, of the dialectic or the dialogue, so to speak. Um, so that's one of the many things which, uh, which, um, which I like about fair points. But um, anyway, I don't want to talk too much here. But um, so I think one of the things that, that makes your perspective and contribution particularly valuable, uh, and also people like Chris, it's your ability and your interest in your ability to effectively contribute to formal data management, if you think what you're doing at SciLife Lab, it is kind of formal, I guess. Uh, and and as you did previously at places like the Max Delbrook Center, but at the same time, you're really active in creating and driving these parallel community-driven, kind of more informal, uh, more dynamic community initiatives, community initiatives like like FairPoints. So, I mean, how do you manage it? I mean, I, I, I'm sure it's hard in terms of juggling your time, but also, but, and that, you know, every, that, that's going to be tough for sure, but how do you manage it kind of 
mentally or, or conceptually? Do you have a kind of division in your mind between the things or they all come together? How does it work? So first of all, it's me. I, I mean, what I do at the SciLife Lab at the data center specifically is very much aligned with with the ethos of being open and fair as much as possible. And everything we do is towards that end goal. We want to help help and provide the the means necessary for the research data coming out of Sweden to be fair and open as much as possible. So it every it feels like every thread I grasp within my work in my day job or within the SciLife Lab is comes together with something of interest in the communities that I'm involved in. So for instance, uh you we had a discussion in 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 inside in our team in the data center saying, oh well, you know, we want people to to outline more clearly how their data set should be used and how people can access it and under what terms. And that falls under the reusability part and access and reusability part of FAIR. And lo and behold, I wasn't the only one interested in that. <laughs> I took that question to, to FairPoints community and immediately we made a working group. We're, you know, preparing a workshop, talk, doing things around it and going like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's some point. Let's let's have a tool or something that can, you know, make this much easier for folks to. So it kind of goes hand in hand. And I I wouldn't be in this situation if 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 my team and and my uh, and my, my boss and you know the people around me in the at the, at the data center did not sub have a genuine um, commitment to fair and open, right? So uh, that that makes life a lot more easier, and it allows me to take uh, ideas from one community to the other and work on it and vice versa so it, it helps a lot <laughs> i have to say yeah well that's actually really encouraging so so you're you're um you're, you're driving the cycle that that's really it's, it's encouraging to hear about the support for from people at SciLife lab but it's also encouraging to hear about your own the way in which it's almost seamless you're able to kind of take the ideas between the two and then just continue to develop them. That's, uh, that's very positive. Um, so, so, so finally, um, you've been always, go ahead, please. I just want to say something to add to that. Sorry. <laughs> I also want to say that we don't have all the answers. So sometimes when you're stuck for something, I need to ask the community, the wider community, how do you actually do this in your field? and having to go back and adapt it. So that really helps in bringing in expertise and knowledge that no one person can actually possess. So, sorry, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, please. Absolutely. It's, yeah, no, great. Fantastic. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, kind of maybe picking up on, on, on some of the, some of the points we were just discussing. So what, um, what are some of the, one or two of the main challenges and opportunities you see now that um, now that things are beginning to to come together in a way that three to five years ago they, they probably weren't. So I think one of the biggest challenges is making fair 
easy enough for people to adopt in their practices and making it hard enough not to do that you know so <laughs> just here it is this is so easy to get over the adoption barrier and it will be very very difficult if you don't so uh, I, I think this is a major challenge to really bring people on board because if I'm gonna sell someone on unfair and say yeah but it's gonna cost you time and money um it's it's very it's very difficult to get the commitments for that and yeah so easy enough to adopt hard not to and I think this is the way to go in order to make it happen and the other thing is I'd say one of the challenges is is we're missing this outside or that perspective outside of the research data managers, research support staff, librarians, bubble. We're missing the researchers, but that's because we don't have the language to put, to to introduce FAIR and to newcomers, to people starting, you know, never heard of FAIR. And this challenge equally uh, um, applicable to bringing in new perspectives from different regions in the world. We don't know how to talk about FAIR so it resonates to folks from outside of our own geographical or demographical bubble. And, you know, so bringing in this, this new perspectives to really make it happen, to make it more pragmatic for the people who will end up using it. Fantastic. Well, I think that's uh, that's a probably a good place to to end. That this has been uh, uh, really interesting, um, and I, I mean it. And also, we touched on a few things that I wasn't expecting us to touch on, which make, made it even uh, even even more interesting. And it, and uh, and it's both inspiring and uh, and encouraging to to hear uh, really all the things you're saying. So thank you so much, Sarah, for for being on. Thank you, Rory, for having me on. And uh, I have to say massive thank you to everybody in the Fairpoints community and team and to my team at the SciLife Lab and, you know, amazing, amazing people. I wouldn't be able to have done anything without them. So I'm really grateful. <laughs> thank you. Awesome. Fantastic. Thanks. Okay, folks. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. The Fair Data Podcast is provided by fairdatapodcast.org and produced by Meros Ahmed. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and follow us on Twitter at Fair Data Podcast. New episodes are released every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. UK, and 5 p.m. Central European time. Next week's guest is John Chodaki. Director of the University of California Curation Center at California Digital Library and co-founder of Force 11. That's it for now. See you then.